minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
הכוכב שמאיר בלילה את אורי. אתה נמצא כל כך רחוק בקצה של העולם, שנינו יחד זהו So I followed 
yourself and the party goes down from the pirate in the ship and the beggar in the town. There ain't nobody but the holy one. So pick up your cups, it's time to jump on them better back back the sides. They don't laugh, no, there ain't nobody but the holy one. The holy one.
J.M. in the A.M., that's Amicha Gammerman with uh, Shalom Aleichem. You heard Tiferet done by Shlomo Katz off the brand new Yismach Melech. Rogers Park with the Holy One. Ten Liyad and Tovla Hodos done by Shalshelis Jr. off of Thankful. 
Kol Salonika had Bowie Vishalom. You heard Ben Sion Shanker, Menucha Vesimcha, and of course Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this April 1st. No fooling. First day of April 2016. It's day number 22 in the month of Adar 2, the year 5776, Tuf Shinai Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini. It's Erev Shabbos Para. Uh, it's also a uh, Shabbos Mavarchim. As uh, we bench Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Rosh Chodesh Nisan will be next Shabbos. Candlelight, Andrew, I forgot something. Candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos, 7.01. 7.01 candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini and Erev Shabbos Para. 7.01, your official candlelighting time. 64 degrees outside with 82% humidity. Winds are south at 2 miles per hour. Thunderstorms today with a high temperature of 73. Then tonight, cloudy skies, a low temperature of 54. Tomorrow, morning showers with a high temperature, 60 degrees. Uh, so it could be raining tomorrow morning as you wake up for a uh, for a uh, Shabbos Parshas Para. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 70. We're at 64 degrees here in Jersey City in a Friday morning era of Shabbos as we say good morning at JM and the AM. I want to thank everybody at JEC for welcoming us to Elizabeth, New Jersey yesterday. Had a great time there uh, on a Thursday morning broadcast from their main headquarters in Elizabeth. So thank you to everybody at JEC for welcoming us uh, yesterday. And a big thank you as well to uh, everybody at Grand and Essex who welcomed us uh, for the Thursday live lunch. It was um, quite a program with our friends at Manischewitz. We had a wonderful time pre-Pesach show. And I've got to give a special shout-out to uh, to all the people at uh, Grand in Essex, and especially uh, Yitzi Elbaum, who um, <laughs> made sure made sure that we'd have a uh, really delicious Shabbos following a delicious Thursday over there in Bergenfield, New Jersey. So I thank him and thank the entire staff and everybody who was uh, so gracious and so nice yesterday during our uh, our live lunch uh, broadcast. It was really a lot of fun. We had a great time. Um, today is Friday, which means an amazing day on our stream all day long at jmnam.org. And, of course, on the NSN app. I welcome those of you who are tuned in on the app. Last Friday was Shushan Purim. And uh, today it is not Shushan Purim. Today we are back to a regular schedule. I, I guess we were on a regular schedule last Friday also, right? Just it was Shushan Purim. Uh, Malcolm Holine will join us, 7.40 this morning, weekly update. We'll get the latest on what's happening in Israel and the Jewish world. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. Naomi Nachman and uh, Table for Two uh, coming up at, um, at 9 o'clock this morning, followed by the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix, which is always amazing. And uh, we'll have that for you coming up. Make sure to be tuned in all day long at jmnam.org or, of course, on the uh, NSN app. Where you can comment on anything going on in the app. Yeah. You can comment away and enjoy a uh, wonderful interactive experience. JM in the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, as we continue here at the Edidim Choir at JM in the AM.
Bye-bye. 
In the AM, that is a uh, quite a cantorial selection from Chazan Yanki Lemmer. Yismach Moshe, Leviathan before that with the title track to there, Yismach Moshe. Uh, Stay With Me, the uh, album from the Waterbury Yeshiva with Yismachu, Yummy Loi before that off the brand new Kol Hatov. Solomon Brothers had hit Hadi Anili Mili. And the Didim Choir, led by Yanku Orlansky with Curry Bone here at JM and the AM. Friday morning on this April 1st, 22nd day in the month of Adar 2. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini and Erev Shabbos Para. Candle lighting at 7.01 on this Erev Shabbos. 7.01 is your official candle lighting time. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Nisan will be one day next Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Nisan, one day, and that is next Shabbos. 64 degrees outside with 82% humidity. Winds are south, 2 miles per hour. Thunderstorms today with a high temperature of 73 then tonight, uh, cloudy skies, a low of 54. Tomorrow, some morning showers for Shabbos with a high temperature of 60 degrees. Yushalayim at 70 and beautiful. 64 here in Jersey City. Pretty warm for a Friday morning here at JM in the AM. News from Israel is coming up. We should have our uh, news from Israel in the background. Am I right? Our news feed. Oh, maybe not. Try to get our news feed from Israel up and running. And that's how we'll start the 7 o'clock hour. 7.40 this morning for the weekly update. There we go. Weekly update coming up with Malcolm Honeline, 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in around the world, jmtheam.org, and, of course, on the NSN app. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Big thank you again to our friends at JEC for welcoming us yesterday for the JMNAM radio broadcast. Big thank you to our friends at Grandin Essex in Bergenfield, New Jersey, welcoming us and Manischewitz into their store for the Thursday live lunch yesterday. Stun show yesterday was a Safam special. Uh, with Mark Zamek, Harold Geller, and members of Safam. Check it out on our archives. Pretty amazing stunt show yesterday. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to James Israel הרחקת הטווח מעבר לששת המיילים נעשתה בפעם הראשונה זה 11 שנה. מתאם פעולות הממשלה בשטחים, אלוף יואב מורדכי מעריך, כי הדבר יגדיל את הכנסות הדייגים שם ב-400 אלף שקלים בשנה. 
בשעה הקרובה צפוי בית הדין הצבאי של הקריה להכריע בערעור הפרקליטות הצבאית על שחרורו למעצר פתוח של החייל שירה למוות במחבל בחברון. בבית הדין מדווח כתבנו יהונתן בניה. עיכוב הביצוע של העברת החייל למעצר ביחידה הוארך עד לקבלת ההחלטה שתימסר ככל הנראה בשעה הקרובה. מוקדם יותר טענה התביעה כי החשש מפני פגיעה של המחבל עלתה בפי החייל רק בשעות הצהריים וכי לא ניתן לקבל את הטענה שפעל מתוך צורך מבצעי או סכנת חיים. סנגוריו של החייל סיפרו כי המליצו לו שלא יעשה בדיקת פוליגרף וכן הציעו לבצע שחזור בליווי עורך דין, אך במתח סירבו. מאבק הפרקליטים בנציבות הביקורת נמשך. בתום ישיבה שערך ועד הפרקליטים הארצי, הוחלט כי הם ימשיכו בשביתתם גם ביום ראשון. כתבנו מיכאל שמש. פרקליטים לא התייצבו בבתי המשפט למעט במקרים חריגים שיאושרו מראש על ידי ועדת חריגים, וביום ראשון תאריך ישיבת ועד נוספת, ובמסגרתה יחליטו על צעדי מחאה נוספים. העיצומים שנוקטים מהפרקליטים באים בעקבות החלטה לאפשר את החרגת התובעים המשטרתיים מחוק נציבות הביקורת, בלי לעשות דבר דומה בעניינה. לאחר הביקורת האמריקנית, חברת הכנסת ציפי לבני תוקפת בחריפות את ראש הממשלה נתניהו על כוונתו למנות את רן ברץ לראש מערך ההסברה הלאומי ואומרת כי הוא מבצע פיגוע מדיני. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י. מינוי ברץ אולי טוב לנתניהו, אבל רע לישראל. עוד פיגוע מדיני מול ארצות הברית, כך אומרת לבני. הבוקר פרסמנו כאן בגל"צ התייחסות ראשונה של בכיר בממשל האמריקני לחידוש המינוי. הערותיו של ברץ כלפי הנשיא אובמה ומזכיר המדינה קרי הן מטרידות ופוגעניות, ואנו מצפים מפקידי כל ממשלה, בטח מאלה של ממשלות בנות ברית, להתייחס בכבוד ובכנות לבכירי הממשל האמריקני, דברי הבכיר. שני שחקני כדורסל מהפועל אילת נעצרו בחשד שתקפו הלילה שוטרי מג"ב, מאבטחים ומבלים במועדון לילה בעיר. כתבנו רמי שני. השניים נעצרו בשעת לילה מאוחרת לאחר שהתפרעו במועדון, היכו מספר אנשים וגרמו להם חבלות בפנים. שני השוטרים שהגיעו על מנת להפסיק את ההתפרעות האלימה הוכו קשות ואושפזו בבית החולים יוספטל כשהם במצב קל. בית משפט השלום באילת דן בשעה זו בהארכת מעצרם של שני השחקנים. הולכת רגל כתיבת עשרים נפצעה בינוני בתאונה בין מספר כלי רכב סמוך לצומת סביון. כתובתנו עדה שטייף מוסרת שצוות של מד"א טיפל במקום בארבעה פצועים נוספים באורח קל. והתחזית בסוף השבוע תחול עלייה בטמפרטורות ורוחות חזקות ינשבו בצפון ובערים. ביום ראשון כבר יש רבית. אלה החדשות שעורך רום ליאור בצוות לירון אמיר ועידו גרינברג.
Yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. That's Habotchim done by Shalshelis. Uh, Before that, Ben Sion Schenker's Proke. You heard Kol Salonika in there with Rachim and Baruch Kel Elyon. Friday morning broadcast on this 1st of April, the 22nd of Adar 2. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmini and Erev Shabbos Para with candlelighting time at 7.01 on this Erev Shabbos. I will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Nisan will be one day next Shabbos. Many of you out there may have been reading... Uh, or hearing about a young lady named Naomi Kutin, who is, uh, according to this article that I'm looking at, breaking cultural barriers one world record at a time. If you uh, look at her Facebook page, you'll get the idea that Naomi Supergirl Kutin is unique in the Orthodox Jewish community, to say the least. She's with us live via telephone on this Friday morning. Naomi, welcome to JM in the AM. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you're a ninth grader at Maya Note, did I read correctly? Yeah, I am. Very nice. I didn't even realize that. Well, we're very close to Maya Note, and I hope you're enjoying your school year over there. Yeah, I am. It's very nice. (laughs) I like it. How does a a young Orthodox 14-year-old lady um, get, whose nickname is Supergirl, get into the arena of powerlifting? Well... My dad, I actually started when I was eight, um, and my dad, he's been lifting for, like, something around 35 years, a very long time, (laughs) and he, so he's been doing it well before I was born, obviously. (laughs) So, um, he, basically, I was taking a karate class, and he came to one of them, and so I could do push-ups really well, better than the boys, and things like that, like jumping and things like that. And so he asked me if I wanted to try it, because why not? I mean, it's fun. So I said, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and, and that's it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's fun and you enjoy it. Uh, what, uh, what's the most you've lifted? Uh, the most I've lifted is, I'm pretty sure, 315 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And what, what would you say, and I have no idea, so I'm asking from total ignorance, what would you say... <laughs> is the average that a 14-year-old girl in this country could lift? Um, well, yeah, that's kind of tricky to answer because most of them don't. Right, but, it, like, you know, you put, you, you put a young lady in front of these weights, yeah. they're likely to lift around how many? About, about how much? Um, probably around their body weight. Ah, okay, I'm trying to get a perspective because 315 sounds like, you know, quite a number, you know what I mean? Are you in, you're involved in formal competitions? Hmm? Are you involved in formal competitions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it work? How do you go about doing that? Well, yeah, that's also another kind of tricky thing because a lot of them are on Shabbos. Obviously, I can't compete in those. So we have to find competitions that are either two-day uh, Shabbos and Sunday, and then we lift on Sunday, or one-day Sunday, something like that. And, yeah, and then <laughs> you go to the competitions, and because I lift, obviously, only on Sunday, um, the they have different times the people lift. So when it's a two-day competition, uh, Shabbos and Sunday, right. all the women and kids lift on Sunday, and the men... And the men lift on Sunday. On Saturday. No, no, the women lift on Saturday. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The women lift on Saturday, and the men lift on Sunday. So when I lift, I always lift with the men. Oh, that's funny. 
So they yeah, make that's they, usually they, how it works out. They make a special accommodation for you. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, as we continue to explore and hear about these Jewish heroes who say that Shabbos is more important than, you know, than, than their, than their great physical passion, it's amazing how others out there are making accommodations. Supergirl Naomi Cuton is with us, a Fairlawn resident, goes to Mayanot Yeshiva High School, has quite a Facebook presence. You can look her up. We liked her page earlier today, and we'll talk about the documentary in a moment, because that's really the reason you're on this morning. I just, I love in the first half of our conversation, pointing out what I believe is is real heroism, that you're able to stand up and say, "Hey, Shabbos is more important than any of this." As as dear as this whole com- competing, uh, you know, is to you. Um, in one of the articles I saw, there was mention of you know the fact that you have a kosher diet uh, as opposed to a you know full fledged eat whatever you want type thing or everything is open to you type thing. Yeah. That that might be a disadvantage. Do you feel that way? Is, are, is there are there elements of your training? you know, food-wise, that can't be included because you're kosher? Um, or that's well, not a big deal? I don't really see it so much as a disadvantage, obviously. If I, there's one thing, not really so much the food, but if I could just eat whatever, then it would be, I could probably get a sponsorship pretty um, easily, wow. but I can't because they want you to take their supplements and right. they're like 99% of the time not kosher. Right. So that's, I mean, it's not a disadvantage. It's just something I can't do. Right. I just, wouldn't really call it a disadvantage. It's just a pain in the neck, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Na- um, Naomi Supergirl Cuteness is here. All right, what's the story with this documentary? I know our listeners can get involved because there is a um, there is a GoFundMe campaign that's going on, right? Yeah, it's a Kickstarter. A kick- excuse me, a Kickstarter campaign that's going on. Explain to everybody what the goal of the documentary is. Um, so the documentary, the goal of the documentary is, is just to show, like, my whole family and basically to show how, how I, like, break through barriers exactly, like, how I could be Jewish, like, an Orthodox Jew and powerless. As we were just discussing, right? Yeah. All right. So basically, your hard work and determination is going to be front and center in this documentary, and not just the hard work and determination to be a power lifter, but the hard work and determination to be a uh, 14-year-old Orthodox Jewish girl who goes to a yeshiva high school, in this mm-hmm. case, my Hanot, and, uh, and continues to you know, live an Orthodox Jewish life while doing something what I would say is unique for, for, <laughs> or, for an Orthodox Jewish youngster. <laughs> I, I doubt you've met too many other Orthodox Jews in this industry, huh? No, I haven't, unfortunately. <laughs> that would be really fun. All right. What do people do in order to participate in the Kickstarter campaign and to help you achieve your goal to get this documentary done and released? Uh, Naomi Supergirl Cuton, what do people need to do? Um, well, I think there's two ways to get to like the Kickstarter, obviously. So on our Facebook page, on the Naomi Supergirl Cuton Facebook page, there's links to it all over the place. Okay. Also, you could go to supergirldoc.com, and the link is right there. And there's two days left. All right, and uh, what, what is the goal? What's the total amount you're looking to raise? 35000 Okay, people out there who want to participate. I, I think people in this audience will want to participate just to give it not only... You know, I shouldn't say just. Uh, one of the reasons why people in this audience, I think, will want to participate is to give you the encouragement uh, to keep going, to be in a uh, in what I, you know, what what we've determined is a little bit out of the ordinary 
yeah. arena for for Orthodox Jews. Uh, but nonetheless, you continue to. Uh, uh, to wave the flag of being an Orthodox Jew and telling everybody how important Shabbos and Kashrus and these things are to you and how you won't compete on Saturday, etc., etc., etc. And I think there'll be a lot of people out there who want to participate uh, for that reason alone. So anybody out there who wants to uh, be part of this Kickstarter campaign for uh, Naomi Supergirl Cuton and the soon-to-be-released documentary, you can either go to Kickstarter. I, I assume they could search your name on Kickstarter, right? Yeah. And otherwise, what was the website you said? What was the address? SupergirlDoc.com. SupergirlDoc.com. What, what's coming up? It's now uh, April of 2016. And by the way, this is not an April Fool's thing. I don't want people to think that you know that we're trying to pull pull one over on everybody. This is a the real deal. A 14 year old Orthodox girl, a powerlifter. Uh, what's next? Like what, what what's happening in the next few weeks, the next few months? Are there big competitions coming up? Is there anything uh, you know of uh, significance in the industry that's uh, you know a big deal that's happening soon? Um, well, I do have a competition at the very end of May. Okay. It's called the America Challenge, and basically they have different competitions all around America, and they tally all the scores together, and it's like one big competition throughout America. Wow. That's cool. And uh, are you happy with the 315, or by the end of May you'd like to lift even more? I would definitely like to lift more. What's, what's the goal? <laughs> How much could you add to that in the next few weeks? Um, um, well, my goal is to get a 330 wow. list, so I've been working hard towards that. Unbelievable. It's it just, the whole story is pretty incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, look, you're, you're doing an amazing thing. You are, as we, as we always say, you're taking a, uh, uh, something very passionate to you and I'm sure to many, many Americans and people around the world who are, uh, uh, involved in the powerlifting, uh, uh, activity, and you're letting everybody know that Shabbos and your beliefs and your uh, standards and your values are more important, which is pretty amazing. Thank Naomi, you. we salute you. Anybody out there who wants to uh, help out, supergirldoc.com, supergirldocdoc.com. It's the uh, link is there for the Kickstarter campaign. If you want to help out, um, if you want to help Naomi Supergirl uh, reach her goal for the <clears throat> soon-to-be-released documentary. And I would guess the documentary is going to include plenty that Orthodox Jews will feel proud of, right? Yeah, definitely. That's for sure. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck. I hope this is a big success and that you reach your goal by the time uh, it ends a couple of days from now. Thank you so much. There she is, Supergirl, Naomi Cuton. <laughs> I'll tell you, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is incredible, this world of ours. Um, 14 years old, ninth grader, Mayanot Yeshiva High School, powerlifter. She's at 315, 315, which I would assume, just based on what I read, is at least three times her weight. And she wants to get to 330 pounds toward the end of next month for that competition. It is an Erev Shabbos morning here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us. We've got our weekly update on the way. That's uh, 740 Eastern Time every single Friday morning here at JM in the AM. So we will have that for you coming up. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15, and uh, plenty more as we continue on to uh, uh, through an Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmini, Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos, uh, Parsha's Para here at JM in the AM. Oh, ha, 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 ha,
And I want to uh, thank uh, Mark Zamek and Harold Geller. They put together an amazing Safam special uh, that aired yesterday at 1 p.m. on the Stunt Show on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. And I thank them very, very much in advance of Safam's big performance this weekend in New Jersey. Um, So, again, I thank them. And uh, if you have a chance, check out the archive Really good, high-quality look back and look uh, at the present of the great Safam group. Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shemini. Erev Shabbos, Paro with candle lighting at 7.01 on this Erev Shabbos. So Rosh Chodesh Nisan is next week. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Nisan is one day next Shabbos. Thunderstorms with a high temperature of 73. Cloudy skies tonight, low 54. Tomorrow morning showers with a high temperature of 60. Yerushalayim is at 70. We're at 64 here in Jersey City. We say good morning at JM in the AM. Weekly update in a moment. Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us. Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. They've got a million articles for you to print out before Shabbos to check out what's happening in Israel and, of course, the Jewish world. JewishWorldReview.com continues to recommend our stream to all their hundreds of thousands of readers, and we thank them for that. Check them out today. And also a big thank you to OnlySimplist.com, who continue to incorporate our uh, content in their relatively new news feed. It's, I think, uh, expected already. Rightfully so, that people will look at OnlySimplas.com and not just come away with Simcha news, but news in general as well. So a big thank you to OnlySimplas.com who continue to utilize our content to spread to their hundreds of thousands of followers, and that's much appreciated. also want to thank Mayor Kruder and Kruder Photography. He was with us all day yesterday, uh, both in Elizabeth at the JEC show and, of course, at the Grand in Essex for our Thursday Live Lunch with Manischewitz. A big thank you to Mayor Kruder, Kruder Photography, who continues to uh, provide some amazing uh, photographs for us, and it's much appreciated. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. It's always good to be with you. I appreciate that. I am, I'm having some trouble getting a hold on, uh, on some of these news items, I'll tell you. <laughs> things are getting so complicated out there. No, you think so? It is unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and what, what for me is the most complicated part, we'll talk about a little bit later, because I cannot even figure out anymore which countries are anxious to eliminate ISIS, which countries are, have thrown up their hands in the effort to eliminate ISIS, which ones would like to cooperate with ISIS. It is just unbelievable. It seems like a different story each and every day. Uh, you know, one of the things that came up that we did not, uh, I don't think we discussed last Friday on Shushan Purim, and I don't even know if you, I'm curious if you think it got a lot of attention for the type of news item it was or not. Um, Donald Trump made a, at a press conference, made a statement about the um, expectation that he has that not only will Israel need aid from the United States, but in addition to that, they, that they should seriously consider, and those are my words, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure what tone he used, seriously consider paying back some or all of the money that has been issued to them over the years and join a list of countries where, uh, you know, that he feels need to pay their share back, so to speak. What was, Did it become a big issue or not? Well, because uh, 
these kind of controversial statements come so rapid fire from the, in this year. Uh, nothing has a long shelf life, and whatever they say, it, the the statement itself got uh, coverage about the question of of paying back for Aiden. But in Israel's case, uh, the demand is more than than met. First, for one thing, most of the aid is spent here, right. creating tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, Israel repays in terms of the technology, the information, the intelligence, other things that it has shared and that it shares with the United States, the improvements on American munitions and American uh, aircraft, other things that uh, are great benefit to our armed forces. Uh, the um, the uh, reason why you have such a high level of, of cooperation on, on intel and military levels is because it's not a one-way street. It's definitely a two-way street. And as has been said in the past, this is America's aircraft carrier. We have a billion dollars of American equipment prepositioned in Israel, in the, in the Negev. They're available to American troops, and they know it will be reliably there, probably the only place in the Middle East where they can say that. And uh, Israel's role in stabilizing the region, Israel's role in fighting terrorism uh, at the front line of the defense of the United States and, of course, of Israel and, and the region. The Arab states have come to recognize it. I think the American military has as well. But as a headline, with all of that, as a headline, it doesn't look great. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's yes, of course. It doesn't look great. I don't know whether it was a throwaway line. I did not read whether he specifically said Israel. Um, I heard one excerpt, a quote, a broadcast quote, which did not. But he, his major focus was on um, uh, was on Europe and on Japan or Korea, and I think Japan, where we carry a big part of their defense budget. Right. Not true of Israel. Yeah, Japan, uh, South 6% Korea, percent of its GDP on Israel. Oh. His, his response when asked whether he would include Israel on a list of countries such as Japan, South Korea, and Germany that, in his view, can afford to cover their own defense costs without U.S. subsidies or at least with far less largest from American taxpayers, he said, quote, there are many countries that can pay, and they can pay big league. So that's... He did not say yes. He just said what he said. Uh, and I mean, I'm not going to parse words of the candidates this year, because I don't know <laughs> any of them. <laughs> you know, you, you, this could become the, the whole subject of every show from now until November. Well, not just that, but you could parse them any way you want, because, you know, there's like a thousand explanations to every it, single it, sentence they everything. say. Exactly. It's ridiculous already. Uh, all right, so I apologize for bringing it up, but I thought it would be a bigger issue. Also, some of the candidates have already, as I'm sure you've noticed, you know, taking the pledge to move the embassy to Jerusalem, which is, I know, you know, a joke at this point. Well, April Fool's, actually. It's a perfect day to discuss it. But um, and nonetheless, you know, the, the fact that it's out there and I assume is going to be an issue in the eventual debates between the two candidates, right? You have to assume it's going to be. Maybe not. Maybe not a debate because they're both going to agree on it, right? <laughs> so. Well, they both might agree, but... You know, if if this were taken seriously, we would have had 47 embassies already mm. in Jerusalem, right. and uh, that would affect the real estate market. So I guess they're they're worried about uh, forcing the prices up. The uh, um, but we should not dismiss it. Right. It is important that people make statements recognizing right. that Jerusalem is the capital; that it's still the only place. Where the United States doesn't have its embassy, where other countries don't have the embassy, and the failure to recognize even West Jerusalem is significant. There's no reason why we couldn't put an embassy next to the King David, or yeah. the American ambassador can stay there. They could also put up a temporary residence as a as a, 
even if it's symbolic presence, until a formal embassy is built. All right, this Hebron uh, situation is um, it's just, I mean, the whole thing is awful because it seems to, you know, anything that, that creates divisiveness, especially in a situation as serious as this, is always such a sensitive issue, and we see what it's doing to the... Um, uh, to the public uh, statements, uh, we see what the public statements on this whole episode are, is doing in Israel and the media, etc. Uh, so, I mean, for those who uh, you know are not familiar with the case from a week ago, the, uh, the, the this this terrorist did in fact injure a soldier. Correct? He did in fact injure a soldier. Attack a soldier, yes. And he's lying on the ground. Um, and you know, based on the video, it seems that an Israeli soldier went ahead and. Uh, and made sure that he would not um, he he would not in any way uh, uh, challenge anybody again. And uh, the end result, of course, is that the uh, the terrorist is dead. I, I I know all the sensitivities here, and you know I'm sure everybody is you know has has feelings on both sides. But watching this divide, or at least the way the media here is portraying it, watching it divide. You know the Israeli people at this point is heartbreaking. Um, is it being mishandled? Should it, should the entire thing be more quiet? Is there anything that can be done to make you know this very sensitive issue you know seem very sensitive? Well, you're raising many different questions, uh, important ones that I think Israel <laughs> has yet to come to terms with. One is when to talk and when not to talk. When to uh, have people, for instance, the the issue of these Jews who came from Yemen, why ho- you know, hold a press conference and when you still have Jews there, when you know that this is not going to be well received by the Yemeni government and could endanger for future efforts, um, it's just, it's to me mind-boggling and all of us who worked on it and then see, you know, a, a rush to, to one, two, three press conferences of different people to take credit and to you know, get their name out there without a contemplation of of what the consequences are. Here, you have a, a very serious issue, and coming at a, a time when Senator Leahy, as you know, of Vermont, uh, together with other members of Congress, no other senators joined him, but ten House members, uh, most of them the usual suspects, who demanded that Secretary Kerry investigate in the State Department investigate Israel for extrajudicial killings, which is a very serious charge. It's a defined charge. Uh, it could be a war crime. It could be other things. Um, and uh, they, of course, cite cases like this and saying that Israel's killing of the uh, terrorists who, I mean, caught in the middle of the act, while they're stabbing somebody, they should stand there and say, excuse me, could you please put your knife down? Mm-hmm. Um, so this case has to be seen within the larger context. Second, that Israel holds its soldiers to a, a high standard, and you have strong feelings uh, on both sides, clearly, about the need to, to demonstrate to the world, but on the other hand, uh, to show support for the members of the IDF and when they're in these very difficult circumstances, facing people who have no limitation, who will walk up to somebody and stab them, which is such a brutal uh, act. It's a personal act. You have to have the willingness to, to you know, directly um, kill somebody or, or hurt them badly. 
Um, and and the, the Israeli military will address it. They've, they've downgraded the charges to, to manslaughter. They, they, nobody is looking to prosecute a member of the IDF. On the other hand, when something is caught in tape, when you have such a, uh, uh, the, the case, all the circumstances that this case entails, the government of Israel is limited in, in what it can do. It has to show that it, it goes through the proper due process. Uh, is it as divisive as the media here is portraying it? I have not heard it. I, I think that uh, the majority of people want to see him uh, exonerated or but given due justice, and you know whatever the outcome it w- will be. Uh, I, I don't think the government of Israel is interesting interested in hurting him. But if, in fact, he he made a decision and carried out the, you know the a, um, a sentence unilaterally, then that's something that no military. You know, can accept the um, when you when you speak about the uh, outspokenness of you know people in Israel, um, would it be better <clears throat> if the prime minister, education minister, and others in the administration would simply make no statement about this, or is it legitimate that they come out and express their positions? Well, I think that they have to show the people, you know, that they're concerned and that they're addressing it, and. Um um, perhaps help create a context so that this, because of course the media around the world jumps on a story like this and uh, is fed it, and, and you have a lot of people then who, who use it to exploit uh, these uh, circumstances, no matter how tragic, uh, to the detriment of Israel. So I think that their statements, it, the infighting is not helpful. So I think sh- there should be maybe one statement a prime minister could say something or the defense minister address it talk about the fairness of the process and what, what will happen, and then leave it go. It doesn't benefit anybody to have acrimonious uh, statements being made like this. What is all this going to do to, uh, I don't know, maybe it's such an extreme case that you would think it wouldn't have anything to do with it, but in terms of the the response of uh, you know first responders and security officers and IDF soldiers and police uh, you know officers, I mean, what? Every time, I would assume every time something like this happens, they're going to think, you know, think another time before jumping to, uh, to you know, assist those who are being stabbed and to, you know, eliminate those that are causing the problem. Well, it's not, the, I, I don't think that they will be reluctant that they are trained and they are committed to protecting themselves, other citizens, um, Jews and Arabs alike, by the way, who've been protected by uh soldiers from and, and security forces from the stabbings and civilians sometimes who interceded so it's it's a spur of the moment decision um but we've known in the past that this does have a chilling effect and um uh that's why i hope this can be resolved quickly and and uh israel certainly holds itself to a higher standard than anyone else and all of those who you know rushed to these statements and why what Senator Leahy did has evoked a kind of strong reaction uh, that it has. He doesn't go after the enablers, and and it comes at a week. And this emphasizes the, uh, the earlier point you made that the United Nations and the Human Rights Council passed five condemnations of Israel in every area. The Committee on the Status of Women condemned one country, one country. More women serve in the in the parliament than in any of the others that they were that they passed over who who have extreme violations the honor killings the which are increasing the denying women the right to, to even drive a car 
none of them were subject to it. Only Israel was singled out for, for these things. And now they, they create a blacklist. The United Nations Commission on Human Rights creates a blacklist of co- companies that, that are either based or in the in the territories and saying, well, it's not a boycott. All we're doing is informing people that this is the specific list of of companies by name, and the uh, and and the Human Rights Council's uh, consistent uh, pattern of, of one side of con- condemnations that Israel is the only one that has a separate item, and the 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 so when an issue like this comes up during that week of the, the debate and the discussion, when we're very critical. Uh, of them, they say, "Well, you see this. This proves the uh, the point that we're trying to make." Whereas in every one of their countries, a, a, a soldier who did that would have been lionized. The Palestinians would have built a, a monument to him and a city for him, and uh, the Europeans who are giving money that ends up paying for for some of these terrorists was revealed this week uh, that you, you, in the UK it's become a big issue that that money that goes to the PA, which they pledged would not go to terrorists. Go, they give now to the PLO, and the PLO gives it to them and pays them. You know, the, one of these master bombers got uh, over 100,000, uh, the equivalent of 100,000 British pounds. And um, uh, and each family gets an allocation. And even some of the teenage stabbers already are getting uh, uh, paid off as well. In addition to having, you know, sports tournaments named for them. That's right, and and being lionized, and and the incitement just continues unabated, while Abbas says, "Oh, it doesn't exist, and it is not going on." That the the um, uh, and and this has to be seen in the larger context of the effort to to delegitimize Israel. So when people fall into the the trap, and when uh, of of believing a lot of the lies and distortions, and then this kind of story comes, so that becomes a vindication. I must say that. We're seeing every week around the country more states adapting, adopting, uh, adopting um, uh, uh, measures against BDS. The the government of the state of Georgia this week, by its majority in the Senate, I think forty-one to eight, and the House earlier, um, again uh, uh, passed the anti-BDS, saying that you can't buy from companies if they don't certify that they don't boycott Israel. Uh, we saw it earlier in a, in a bunch of states that that the Virginia's General Assembly did it also. I think last week, uh, Governor Hickenlooper signed uh, legislation on this in Colorado. So people see through the the BDS and and uh, by and large reject it. I think, but when you raise these kind of statements, and sometimes as you have now, a former head of Mossad makes a. I think he was doing it because he was trying to be funny or talking to an audience, and he knows that that would get him a laugh to say, well, I'm a, if I had to, to tell you everything I did, they'd put me in jail. <laughs> well, you know what? If that's true, put him in jail. Wow. Uh, I think in the last couple of minutes you've expressed the uh, frustration of the Jewish world <laughs> and represented it very, very well, because especially, uh, well, I'll talk about the U.N. more in a second. By the way, you, you raised the point about state legislatures and the anti-BDS. We know from personal experience that the majority of people 
who are either in-state legislators, in-state legislatures, or are candidates for state legislature, are likely not even familiar with what BDS is. So people around this country really have a unique opportunity to meet up with some of their more local officials, not talking about congressmen and senators. In this case, I'm talking about you know, uh, people in their state legislature. They, you have an opportunity to really have an effect and bring it to their attention, because chances are, if their state hasn't voted on it yet, at some point they will, right? Right. There are seven. There are thirty states, I think, that are considering measures. Um, our Lawfare Project, others uh, organizations, are working on these measures, and they are very important. One, it strengthens the efforts on campuses, uh, and we're seeing more efforts, by the way, on campus. And even the University of California system has taken the steps about defining anti-Semitism, which is very important because it become, this becomes a vehicle, a tool to implement. Uh, under BDS, what is essentially an anti-Semitic and anti-Israel and discriminatory and racist policy. Uh, so, yes, you're absolutely right. This is It's very important that these measures get passed and that those who, who flirt with these uh, kind of campaigns, they're usually just a small minority, but it doesn't take much. The, all they have to do is, you know, raise with a company, protest at a company, do a die-in at a company. And I've heard it from... CEOs and stuff who said, look, we, we, our business with Israel is the most important business we do. Major corporations in America, because of the R&D, the, the, in, the inventions in Israel, everything else, they, they, lo- they love Israel. They want to stay there. But they say, you know, it's really difficult when employees have to pass by, you know, some of these demonstrations. Thank God they don't succumb to it. I don't think that they will succumb to it. But they have to see the counter voice. And the point, time has come where we just have to say, no more. We're not going to tolerate. Don't wink at it. Don't blink at it. A company that in any way says we're withdrawing from business with Israel and saying, well, it's not because of that, not because of pressure. And I say, you know, it's economics. Let him prove it. But yeah. we got to tell him no more. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holman is with us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Were you uncomfortable when you <laughs> when you heard the news that it was an Israeli firm that helped unlock that uh, iPhone? Well, it wasn't surprising uh, <laughs> because Israel's technology is, is uh, unique in this regard, especially security-related areas. Um, I'm sure others have the capacity to do it as well, maybe not as quickly and not as uh, uh, efficiently as they did, but I'm sure that that technology exists in other places. But it reminds us again that, first of all, you remember that so many of the parts of the of the cell phones and the, of, the high, uh, of the things that we take for granted, including the um, Pentel chip and all these things, were developed in Israel. Yeah, well, the, the list is uh, never-ending. On the U.N. thing, uh, you know, I, I know that in, you know, in the context of it being 2016, and thank God we have a presence in the UN, a voice, and, you know, it, things are much different for the Jewish people in Israel, uh, than it was years ago, and there was a time when there was no Israel, which is important to remind, you know, to the, the younger generations about. So I understand all that, the glass is half full in that respect, but it must be very frustrating to you, as you make so much progress in the halls of the UN, uh, on symbolic measures, on practical measures, and you could list many of them for us that you've encountered over the last few years and have been successful at. And then when you get to these five condemnations and you see these lists coming out and, you know, and, and to such a level of absurdity, it must be extremely frustrating. It, it's 
frustrating on uh, several levels. One, because it's all based on lies. Two, how European countries, um, France voted with uh, often with the majority of the UK, uh, and I think Germany uh, uh, abstained um, on most of them. There's a very mixed record on their on their part, and yet they can sit by and let the Human Rights Council uh, appoint a special rapporteur for the Middle East, whose job is, and not at least I'm sorry for the territories, whose job it is to be an objective observer, and they accept uh, a Canadian professor who has made statements against Israel over many years, has a clear record that even the government of Canada came out and said, and this is not the Harper government, this is the Trudeau government, right. uh, we did not nominate him, he is not our candidate, and we believe his appointment should be investigated. And 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 yet they picked a guy, and this is in a, a long tradition that the people who held this position, you had Richard Falk, who's you know, so outrageous, so anti-Israel, so clearly uh, uh, biased, and yet they're supposed to give objective reports? I mean, it's ridiculous. And he, he, he even attacked the... Uh, this uh, Professor Link, Michael Link from Canada, uh, even like in 9-11, uh, talked about global inequities and the Western nation's disregard of law for being responsible for this. So, yes, I mean, the things that we deal with day in, day out, not much of it is never public, and don't, people don't get to to see it, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's very upsetting because you're, you're battling against uh, windmills. You have the international agency that's supposed to be dealing with with these issues, and yet they're not dealing with the real threats, the the the, the dangers that uh, we see all over. There again, we're seeing the incitement about Al Aqsa. Right. This can inflame the whole region. I, I had a chance to meet this week with uh, Muslim presidents, uh, presidents of Muslim countries, including the president of Turkey, and I mention it because he put out a picture of it, so it's no secret anymore. And the president of of Azerbaijan and others and. There's a huge difference between them. But you hear their frustrations about uh, some of these issues. And yet, in the case of Turkey, how he buys into and raised with me the Hamasharif, the Temple Mount, and how the violations and what's going on there and how it's being... And I said, you know, that this is it's just not true, that it's all based on lies, that you can see now the cameras are going up there. You can look for yourself and see who's who's going up there, who's desecrating, who's responsible. No, he didn't want to hear it. It was a fixed image in his mind that, that, that uh, Al-Aqsa is being uh, desecrated. And then we've seen a campaign this week again, which is so dangerous when, they, when the Palestinian Authority and its officials who do it incite people and say Al-Aqsa is under siege, Al-Aqsa is this. And some of the people, young people who stabbed, gave that as the reason, saying that they were rising up to defend Al-Aqsa. And, it, and so it has real consequences, and, and, and yet it doesn't get the attention. So we, those who care, Jews and non-Jews, have to stand up and declare and stand up for, for Israel's rights and what Israel has done. And now they're saying, you know, there's a 17-minute film, and it talks about the tunnels that go underneath the Temple Mount. They're, they're trying to disrupt. They're going to, you know, collapse everything. They're talking about Mineral Tokotel. They're talking about the tunnels, which by definition are outside of it. They're built outside. They don't go anywhere under it. And Israel sealed off the area, if you, as you know, near the opposite, the Kachik Dashim, the Holies, any area that would go underneath is sealed off. So, the, but it doesn't inhibit anybody from making a film that the PA and others endorse and support that leads to the kind of reactions that we see.
Unbelievable. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned. I'm glad. I mean, I, you mentioned the stabbings uh, um, again, and I, I meant to ask you as uh, as we spoke about it with the um, the case in Hebron. We know all this started. Uh, the, this latest run of stabbing started Sukkot time, um, literally during the holiday. And I'm wondering it, what it has done to the Pesach travel season has it has all this news um had a major effect on on tourism at this time there's no way to tell at the moment well uh, from the discussions i've had it has had an impact um but generally the, the region you know is impacted for instance in turkey i think i mentioned that when we were there a month ago there were 1300 hotels for sale i guarantee you the number is higher than that now tourism in the whole region is being impacted by the threat and in fact, it was a report that the Iranians bought six hotels in Damascus, took over six of the hotels. They're now the property of the Iranian embassy. Obviously, there are no tourists going to, to uh, Syria except, uh, you know, UN inspectors or something, <laughs> you know, who stay in those hotels. But regular tourism is, is of course, decimated. Um, and Israel has been slightly, I would say, impacted by it. Europe is impacted by every, you know, certainly what happened in, in, in Belgium um, is impacting uh, tourism. It's a natural reaction on the part of people because they, they're not sure what's going to happen. And now you have the renewed threats in, in Turkey against specifically Jewish targets. And we have to credit the government of Turkey has really responded, including uh, President Erdogan himself intervening when the Israelis were, were hurt and killed in the uh, terrorist attack and now in the protection of the school. Um, the European governments have uh, have tried to step up uh, some of their operations, although they're still far behind, and we know that many of the areas are not patrolling. So in France, they found this huge uh, weapons, uh, ammunition uh, stored in, in private residences, and these were are, are meant for... Um, uh, and, and including, by the way, small steel balls, which are so devastating when they're used in a suicide belt or in a bomb. And, and really, uh, we used to see it in Israel, and God forbid we'll see it there again. Um, uh, so that the the uh, it's a universal threat right now, and everybody's becoming uh, subject to it. Now, the fact is that in Israel, the numbers of stabbings has gone down dramatically in part because of better training, better intelligence, uh, quicker reaction, uh, and, and a sense of frustration amongst the people that, you know, that stabbings, after all those who have been killed or hurt, uh, uh, on, bo- on the victims, as well as many of the perpetrators, that they see that it's not affecting Israel, it's not going to destroy Israel, it's not going to better their lives, so that many of the people... Uh, are no longer as supportive of it. The, the danger here is that we will see an escalation, that there is increased calls for intifada and return to other ways. But Israel's intelligence has been, uh, I think, stepped up and, and, and very effective, that you have the greater presence of, uh, of police. Um, the monitoring of social media has been very effective in their ability to track and find potential terrorists, uh, especially young people, so the note that the number has gone down dramatically over the last three months. When oh, I was just going to say that that trend started about three months ago, about already. November, I think. Oh, already back in November. 
Well, it started, but because you remember there was a time there when, and we even had them in January, February, we had static. Right, but dramatically you stopped. Say. It just, <laughs> just the, down, the trend goes down. Yeah. Um, all right, so I alluded earlier about the whole ISIS situation. It seems from the uh, news media here in these parts, so whatever Iraq does in terms of declaring its war on ISIS and whatever movement it makes to try to actually progress in that area uh, comes up empty. That's the way it seems. It is difficult sometimes to keep a scorecard of which co- of which countries are trying to eliminate them physically, which countries are trying to keep them out of their country, <laughs> um, uh, it w- which are trying to um, uh, attack their bases, uh, and which countries, frankly, you know, are cooperating with them. Uh, is, is there any way for you to piece this together for someone like me to try to understand this week uh, which countries have declared war and are having some success on ISIS? Uh, okay, I'll try. I'll talk slowly so yeah, you get it. But um, the you're, you're raising something I think that too many people overlook, and that is that the general audience here and around the world gets tired of an issue. You know, ISIS so much after all this time that the reaction is exactly what you just described. That people get tired of it. They're not looking at the facts. The, the, and there are many interesting developments in, in terms of uh, what we're facing. It, look, look what Europe is facing, that the ISIS uh, number of attacks is up, and we know that the threats are up uh, in, in France, in Britain, in, in Germany, everywhere. There are, uh, they admit that there are 5,000 Europeans, but the, the threats against Belgium started two years ago, right. and that the 21 operatives were, were known to have been trained in Syria, now hundreds have come. When when the guy who carried out the attack in, in Belgium said that he was part of a group of 91, but they admit that there are five or 600 who were specifically trained to carry out attacks in Europe, but the number is, in fact, far greater, and they're, they're admitting to 5,000, and the number is more, because you have more than 1,000, 1,500 from France alone. You take all of, of Europe, the number is in the, in the many thousands, and you have similar numbers, by the way, from almost every country. Uh, there are 3,000 Jordanians fighting in Syria who, who will come back, and all of them pose a danger because these guys have been killers. It's not hypothetical. They've done it. So your question is really very relevant about people uh, assessing what, what, what the danger is today. But, uh, Putin and Russia can, can make claims now and are gaining credibility everywhere in the region. Uh, for their role, I mean, their bombings, their things led to the Syrian army being able to take back Palmyra, and now the, they may be marching towards the coast. Uh, how far they will get, we don't know, but but the fact is that they have diminished the amount of territory that ISIS has held and its capacity. It is not true that Russia withdrew from the region. In fact, its capacity there grows every day because they're shipping in more and more equipment. Uh, you know, that that they have gotten contracts from countries like Algeria and Afghanistan and others that's worth 10 times the amount of money they spent in going into Syria. But they bought credibility. They bought the message that Russia stands up for it. And they are still shipping uh, weapons. They have 10, uh, 10 or 12 naval vessels still in the Mediterranean near, including one a warship with cruise missiles, near the coast of, of, of um Syria and Egypt, other countries that are, were traditionally buying from bought weapons from the U.S. are buying from uh, uh, Russia, Vietnam, Pakistan, uh, and others. They keep the S-400 system, which is the most advanced, you know, defense uh, air defense system. 
and uh, and they, as I said, continuing to ship weapons into into Syria. ISIS was in there for for almost a year in Palmyra. ISIS was there for a year. They did a lot of destruction, as I as I once mentioned to you. I think that there were the inscriptions on Palmyra and those famous columns that you see are in Hebrew, wow. including the Shema. Wow! And that so many of these places that we read about and people don't know that the long Jewish history. Uh, there's places in Iraq like uh, um, uh, uh, the Pumpadisa that the, the, the missionary refers to. Uh, and uh, is uh, is Kandahar, I think, and the the each of these places have long Jewish histories uh, as well. Yeah, my point of it being close to a year they were there is, you know, why didn't Russia go in? I don't know, six months ago or nine months ago? Like, what was the? Uh... Well, they were fighting on other fronts. They were fighting. Don't forget, it's also not such a unified front, and we're seeing more dissension now. And. Uh, you know, uh, infighting within some of the groups uh, between the rebels and the others, and uh, Russia didn't want to put its troops on the ground. It was flying air support. The, the uh, Syrian army was busy trying to defend the Damascus and Aleppo, and now that they've been able to to move further, uh, further out to buy uh, additional to 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 be able to attack in a broader front. I don't know how far they will get. I don't think. I think that they want to expand the area they're holding before any peace deal, which is supposed to bring an end to fighting, if one is even possible in, in uh, at any time. Any other countries that you would say are making progress on ISIS in terms of their, you know, in terms of the uh, uh, the ground, the area that they control, physical area that they're controlling? So Egypt has been fighting them, uh, but the latest reports are that they that their hold in the Sinai is just as strong. They did get cooperation from Hamas. Hamas is actually backing off of it. And there was a funny story that they, they sent six guys through a tunnel into Sinai from Gaza to kidnap one of their own soldiers who, who refused the orders to return to Gaza because when the Hamas met with the Sisi and the Egyptian leadership, they laid down law and said they're not going to help them, not going to change the relationship as long as they support um, the Muslim Brotherhood. And, the, and there were big pictures of Morsi all over Gaza and Muslim Brotherhood signs and work with ISIS and showed them films of how their guys were helping ISIS in the tanks against Egyptian troops. Well, guess what? I, the, they withdrew their guys and they've taken down the signs all over Gaza of, uh, of, from the Muslim Brotherhood and of Morsi, the pictures of Morsi. That were up there because you know the Egyptians drew the line and and they said you either comply or we're going to continue to to act in the same way that we have with effective policies you know drowning the tunnels and flooding the tunnels and and acting uh, with resolve but overall Egypt still faces a tremendous challenge from uh, from there in Libya you have five thousand ISIS who have established themselves there and are becoming more of a dominant thing Al Qaeda as well and they're on the coast of the Mediterranean at Sert which gives them, puts them at 300 miles from Crete, which is the beginning of Europe. So I think, uh, I, I don't think Europe has successfully um, stopped uh, ISIS. I think the export of, of their killers, of these people who are the foreign fighters there, carrying passports of European, American, other countries from around the world, actually, um, is going to continue. And these are, as I said before, trained killers coming to the neighborhood near you. Yeah. So this is, I would say that ISIS has been diminished. It's not defeated. And they can be very mobile. 
they did learn that holding territory is critical. It's also critical because they, you know, rob the people and they tax them and they have the energy areas that they that they had captured in Syria and in Iraq, um, which is in part what fuels them, gives them the funding for for their activities. I don't know if we got to this last week or not. I don't think from this angle, if we spoke about Cuba at all. But uh, in light of the president's visit to Cuba. And your dis- your discussions with us for years now about uh, the linkage between Middle Eastern terrorism and uh, and rogue regimes in South America in general. Uh, does the new relationship between the U.S. and Cuba affect that at all? Does it have uh, Does it divert any attention? Does it play a role in uh, in diminishing or increasing you know what rogue leaders in South America might be doing with terror terror cells from overseas? I don't think it it uh, the Cuban uh, the visit, especially if we look at what Castro. Uh, Fidel said it uh, came out and yeah. blasted the United States after the visit. Uh, remember that Cuba was key in in uh, working with Chavez and others in in South America. They were entree for some very bad people and cooperated with with Hamas and others for a long time and recognized them and continued to. By the way. Um, so yes, Cuba plays a role to try to export its revolution and and radical ideology um, to to countries in Europe, but I, in in South America. But I think the more important development, frankly, was the election of the Argentinian president right. in a positive way, right. because he has said all the right things. He spoke against anti-Semitism this past week. He has been uh, outspoken about going after the Iranians or whoever is responsible for the murder of Nisman and for the bombings of the Amia the Jewish Community Center and the Israeli Embassy. So I think that that was a, a very important development, and I know the President of Paraguay spoke to the World Jewish Congress there and also made strong statements, others. Um, but at the same time, Iran is expanding all the time its uh, presence there. It has tens of thousands of agents in South America. This is by independent research um, from Jewish sources, from South American sources, uh, really very expert people. And uh, and and that threat to our border, to America, to the homeland, I believe is very great. Boy, the smaller this world gets, the more complicated it becomes. It's unbelievable. Yes, and and you know we, we don't even get to so many of the uh, of the issues that uh, um, you know come up every single day with. Uh, uh, and some of the, of the positive developments, as I said, we met with the president of Azerbaijan, and uh, it's very positive. Their feelings towards Israel, the relationships that many of the others we met, the Arab, the Muslim leaders, is, is certainly changing. The Mediterranean Initiative is something that everybody seems to want to buy into, um, and and its importance, I think, is in, in the long run could be have implications in every area: security, economics, trade, um, but. More importantly, I think it's a reflection of, of the changes. A lot of frustration about American policy, which uh, they all express. There's a frustration about the West in general, um, and and then when they see that that the, what the United States did this week about um, allowing Iran to have access to what they're calling dollarization, meaning after pledging when the law to JCPOA was being adopted and in them testimony to Congress by Secretary Liu and others, where they assure them that they will never have access to American banks, they will not be able to, to do business through here. Now they're saying, well, we have to help them implement the, the uh, sanctions relief that we promised. 
they're not worried about implementing. They, they've lived up to perhaps the the laws, the JCPOA, in terms of uh, inspection, in terms of removing some of the, the, the enriched uranium. Uh, I, I'm, let's say we accept that, but they're not saying that they have to live up to the spirit, and he did. He said we have to live up to the letter and the spirit of law. Well, the spirit of the law is not to kidnap American soldiers. It's not to humiliate them. It's not to fire missiles. It's not to do all the things that Iran is doing. And the and the failure to respond to it by the UN and and you know the, there's condemnations, but they're saying that the sanctions they can't impose sanctions uh, or for violations of of it because it's only if they violate the nuclear part right. not the other parts like their support for terrorism like the the missiles which is clearly banned under previous UN uh, resolutions and we, and we don't see it and it's more important it's how the people in the region see it that they see a failure to stand up to Iran it it's to them capitulation it's to them a message that that you can't rely uh, on the west and they that, and Khamenei declares this week that missiles are the key to our future. It's not talking. It's the missiles are, are, are important. They continue the anti-American uh, uh, rhetoric, not just anti-Israel, not just, you know, general against the West, but threats against the United States. And if you don't respond to it, if you don't send the message that we will stand up, we will implement to the nth degree all of this and demand of Iran complete compliance. Why should they comply if they can see they get away with it, that they fired these missiles now four times, and there's nothing more than a mild slap in the wrist and that we're going to get. And, and the language that is being used is changing. The language by American officials is changing, where you know they, they, they won't uh, talk about this as a clear violation. They will talk about it as a deviation and other language. Well, words matter, yeah. and it matters about how our reaction is seen and how the Iranians will read our determination to act in the face of this. Well, they're also concerned about how the White House will react to their statements. I'm talking about the American officials now. They're concerned that, uh, that they, if they come out too strongly against Iran, there could be some uh, you know, backlash from the White House. I guess we'll have to wait well, for... Well, these are White House officials. This is a, 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 a decision, this is a policy that, that is centralized. This is not... Right, it's defying uh, the president. But you do see some uh, military, see others who, who have come out with uh, uh, statements of concern. They're concerned about how, how Russia is integrating itself into all these areas, which used to be ours, and especially now penetrating the Sunni countries, uh, going to Morocco and saying, you know, that when they see that uh, they're being challenged at the UN, that, that Russia will stand up for them to, to going to Egypt and the other countries I mentioned earlier with the uh, arms sales. So Russia is exploiting it. Others will exploit it. And and it's not that countries don't want to be pro-West. You see how 60 countries are represented at the conference in Washington. Yeah, but when they it, want to have a relationship, but when push, but they, they, if we're not proven to be a reliable ally, correct, then they, can't, they won't deal. And it's not just that. There's, a, there's also a fear. There's a fear of what their neighbors of, might do. Of to course, them. exactly. There's but certainly from inside and from outside. Right, and, but certainly if the United States acts as if they can't have someone's back, then others are going to really hesitate before they make a commitment to our position. I guess the next president will take care of that, I assume. Let's yeah, but the next president is going to inherit a, a very difficult... Look, I'm not saying these are, any of these are easy situations. It's, the world is very complex now, and there's so many dynamics, there's so much going on, and things happen fast, and there are are so many vehicles like social media where where you know traditional responses uh, don't work but there are cases where 
a clear message has to be sent, like on the missiles, the firing of the missiles. And there, we, we have to have some defined response that sends a message that we're not turning our blind eye to it, because now we're appearing to reward them for all the hostility, for all the things, by giving them, uh, uh, because the Iranians, we believe, threatened to walk away from the deal, and saying, well, if we don't, we're, we're right. not seeing enough of the benefit. They got the $100 billion, right. but now the, the trade deals, and the Europeans who even those who signed deals were not implementing them because they, they feared that America will put in new sanctions. And America does put sanctions against Hezbollah, against the missiles. But, but if they don't believe and if they see that they're going to get access to American banks, then the European banks will start in, in making the deals. Yeah. And that is not what, right now we should be holding Iran's feet to the fire. And with all the violations, with, with what they are doing and supporting terrorism, etc., we can't make this firewall between the nuclear program and all of their other irresponsible, dangerous behavior. Yep. Maybe we'll learn a lesson one day. Uh, way over time. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos, Malcolm. Good Malcolm, Ho- Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM on this Arab Shabbos. Parsha Shmini, candle lighting at 7.01 on this Arab Shabbos. Shmini and Parshas Para. Rosh Chodesh benching is tomorrow. Bench Rosh Chodesh Nissan. Rosh Chodesh Nissan will be one day next Shabbos. 64 degrees, thunderstorms, a high of 73. I mentioned earlier uh, about the uh, special stunt show that was done yesterday with um, uh, with uh, Mark Zomik and Harold Geller and our friends from Safam. And I remind you that Safam is the Featured performers at Neve Shalom at the Susie Schwartz Memorial Scholarship Fund Benefit Concert this coming Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, Neve Shalom down in Metuchen, New Jersey on Grove Avenue. Go to neveshalom.net for information, neveshalom.net. It's unique to see Safam in concert. It is an amazing experience. Uh, if you have an opportunity, you should go and enjoy. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden. Spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good have Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shmini. Parshas Shmini, according to the Chinuch, contains 17 mitzvos, 6 positive and 11 restrictions. Among these 11 restrictions, you find in the second half of Parshas Shmini the detailed laws of what we call Hilchos Kashrus, those animals that we can eat, fish that we can eat, birds that we can eat, and the various shrutzim creeping animals, those that we can and those that we cannot eat. In addition to Parshas Shmini, we take out a second Sefer Torah this Shabbos. It is the third of the special Parshios. It is Parshas Torah. And we read from the fourth book of the Torah, the book of Amidbar, chapter 19, about the Torah Aduma. The Shulchan Aruch tells us that we read Parshas Torah every year on the Shabbos before Parshas HaChodesh. Parshas HaChodesh, which is next Shabbos, please God. 
And that focuses on the month of Nisan and the forthcoming holiday of Pesach. So on the Shabbos beforehand, we read about the Pora Aduma because the Pesach needs the Pora, as we will explain in a moment. There are two basic reasons for reading Parshas Pora. One is a practical one. As we said a moment ago, all Israel is obligated in the past when we had, in the future when we will have, the third base of Mikdash, to bring the Paschal Lamb. You can only bring the Paschal Lamb if you are in a state of purity. And this purity is to remove the impurity, the Tumah, which came from someone who came either in contact with or under the same roof as a dead body. If anybody has gone to a funeral where the deceased was present and you were under the same roof as, you are Tameh. You are impure. There's only one way to remove this impurity, and that is not with a mikvah, but rather with the sprinkling of the ash of the Pora Aduma, the red heifer, mixed with water, on day three and day seven of your count of purity. And then and only then do you go to the mikvah, and then you would be Tahor, pure, enabling you to A, enter the Beis Hamikdash, the temple, and to partake of a korban, an offering in the Beis Hamikdash. So, the first reason for reading this is A, Unashalma Parim Sfaseinu. We look upon our reading about it, studying it, as if we actually did it. And, as the Mishnah Brura says at the beginning of Simon Tafresh, Pei hey, that our reading of is lehis lefanav. It's a form of prayer to God that please God soon gamolenu on us yizrok mayim tahorim b'meira. He will please God quickly sprinkle, cause to be sprinkled the ashes of the para aduma upon us. Quickly, this is one reason for the reading of Parshas Parah. Incidentally, the Mechaber, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, brings the opinion that Parshas Parah might very well be De Oraisa. Everybody agrees that two weeks ago, Pasha Zachor was a biblical mitzvah. There are those that suggest Parshas Pora as well. The second reading for Parshas Pora is a bit more of, you might say, a cover-up. Many, many Sidurim list after the Shachris Davening what is known as Sheish Zechiros, the six remembrances, the six mitzvos in the Torah, where the Torah says to remember. The fourth of these mitzvos 
is found in the fifth book of the Torah, chapter 9, verse 7, where the Torah says in Parshas, Ekev, Zuchor al Tishkach, remember, don't forget, how you angered Hashem in the desert. And our rabbis tell us this refers to the sin of the golden calf. We're to remember every year the sin of the golden calf. So rather than give a clap on the table and say, listen up everybody, we're going to read about the, go- the sin of the golden calf, which is really an embarrassment, an egg on our face, we read about the Pora Aduma. Now, Rashi, in his opening comment on chapter 19 in the fourth book of the Torah, where the Torah talks about the Pora Aduma, tells us, Zos Chukasa Torah, this is the quintessential Chok, law of the Torah, where the Torah does not give a reason. Not only does the Torah not give a reason, but the wise King Solomon said, Omartiach Kama. In his book of Koheles, he says, you know something, I tried and I pretty much understood all of Torah, but for he, this mitzvah here, of Paraduma Rechokamimeni, I cannot fathom it. How? That the Kohen, who takes the ash of the paraduma and water and sprinkles it on a Jew who is Tomei. That Kohen renders the Jew Tahor, and he, the Kohen, in the process, by touching this, he himself becomes Tomei. Not to the same extent. He, does, he doesn't require the paraduma on him, but he has to go to the mikvah that evening. He becomes Tomei, if I can use the term, with a small test. But this Shlomo could not understand. So this is the picture boy, quintessential Chok. Yet at the end of the chapter dealing with the Paraduma, Rashi cites from Rav Moshe Darshon at least some explanation, not to say that this is the explanation, but to give us some at least appreciation. And Rashi tells us that, after all, if you have a situation where a young child, a baby, dirties the floor, mommy cleans up the mess. Similarly, here you have a calf which was, unfortunately, a great sin. Let the mommy, the cow, the red heifer, come and atone for the sin of the calf. In other words, and Rashi goes on to explain how the different parts of the procedure of the Torah Aduma is a kapara for the cheto egel, the sin of the golden calf. Interestingly, the sin of the golden calf was based, the Ramban tells us, in Pasha's Kisisa, they might have been well-meaning. They might have not been looking for idolatry. However, because on their own they were fashioning some kind of spirituality, that in of itself is the sin. And that's why the Mikdash, according to 
our rabbis is an atonement for the golden calf, and no less than 18 times does the Torah say in Parshas Pekude that the Mikdash Mishkan was constructed Kashet Hashem as Moshe, as God commanded Moshe. 18 times, again and again and again, that you should recognize that the only way this could work and would work is only because God commanded Moshe and not because man on his own came to this initiative, as well-meaning as he might be. And therefore, we can appreciate that in this week's parsha, oh my goodness, on opening day, on the day that Rashi tells us at the very beginning of Parshashmini, which happens to be Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the eighth day is the day following the seven days at the end of Adar of the Miluim. And Rashi tells us that this is the day that Eser Atoros, Ten crowns were given to this day, the first day of Korbanos, and the first day of the Kohanim functioning in the base of Migdash, all the many, many different firsts, and Nodavraviu step out of line, and they are killed instantaneously by God on the spot. Why, you might ask? Couldn't God wait a day or two? And the answer is no. Because what was Nadav and Aviyu doing? They brought, as the text tells us, Esh Zorah, a strange fire, that was low command, that was not commanded of them. And since they brought a fire, that was what? low Siva Osam. This was going back to the sin of the golden calf. And therefore, this had to be immediately eradicated from their midst. And so, there was no tolerance for a shalot siva. We see here how important the environment is, that the environment be based on sanctity. And here we're talking about the environment of the societal, namely the mikdash which belongs to the entire Jewish community. This mikdash has to be based upon kasher tziva Hashem. Now we might appreciate why the laws of kashras are immediately after God's moving in to the sanctuary within the Jewish people. Now that we have a sanctuary for the community, for the tzibur, for the people, now comes, as that verse says, for Asuli Mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, and I will literally dwell within each and every one of them. Each and every one of us as a mikdash, as a sanctuary, as a walking sanctuary, needs to be as well in a proper environment, needs to be as well with the higher authority. And therefore come the laws of Kashrus that tell us how important it is regarding each and every individual. There's something about the laws, the dietary laws, that if God forbid a Jew violates these dietary laws, the Torah says, which literally means that one becomes, again, 
contaminated and impure. But the word in chapter 11, verse 43, take the Chumash to the table, the Nitzmesem is written without the Aleph, understood by our rabbis, the Nitamtem, that you're going to, unfortunately, make your soul nothing less than deficient. It's a form of contaminating their soul. That's a terrible thing that macholos asoros, that eating non-kosher food does. And not only does it work with the adults, but go up one more verse. Chapter 11, verse 42, where the Torah repeats again. You are not to eat these creeping creatures... The Torah says, Lo Sochlum. The Gemara in Yevamos 114a at the bottom understands it to mean Lo Sachilum. Not only can't you eat it, but you can't feed it to young children. Just like baby Moshe couldn't nurse, wouldn't nurse from the Egyptian women. Why? Because the rabbis say, that the mouth that was going to communicate with God had to only nurse from a pure source. Similarly, we find in Shulchan Aruch, in Yoridea, the Yoridea teaches in Simon Pei Aleph that if a Jewish woman, for whatever the reason, in yesteryear couldn't nurse, and she had to have a non-Jewish woman nurse her child, that non-Jewish woman had to eat kosher food. Ordinarily, a non-Jewish woman can eat whatever she wants. But because the food affects, yes, my friends, even a baby. And that's why those mommies, daddies, that go and the baby is crying and they pick up the baby boy and they say, little tzadikal, and the girl, little tzadikas, what's going on here? The answer is, this is what we want for our children. And it starts when they are infants. You give the baby a bottle, you give the baby to eat, Make the appropriate bracha. Make the shahakol. As soon as they get older, make the bracha as you feed them. And after a while, it becomes totally second nature and an integral part of them. A very powerful lesson that we go from the communal to the personal, from the mikdash, which was for the entire nation, which had to be as God had commanded, so too each and every's personal sanctuary has to be maintained, sustained. The food has to be Kashem Siva, Hashem Moshe. Shabbat Shalom to all. Shalom, 
With Baruch Levine. Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmini. Erev Shabbos, Parah. Candle lighting at 7.01. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Nisan will be next week on Shabbos. Big day on our stream all day long at jmtheam.org. And of course on the NSN app. Make sure to be tuned in as we uh, present Naomi Nachman and the table for two. She'll feature Yossi Horowitz from Yossi's Corkboard and nutritionist and cookbook author Beth Warren, both coming up. Between 9 and 10 this morning right here at jmam.org and on the NSN app. You can watch it all uh, on our homepage, nachomsegel.com. You can watch the entire show starting at 9. Coming up at 10 o'clock, the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami. He'll have uh, Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler in the Torah portion of the week. 
That's between 9 and 10. Eternal Flame with Ray Jacobson at 10 o'clock. Headlines with David Lichtenstein at 11 p.m. JM Sunday with Matis. That'll start at 7. And then a full day, of course, on the stream all day long at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. So make sure to be tuned in all through the weekend. You'll be glad you did. Monday morning, we're back right here at 6 a.m. at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in for that and um, and rejoin us. I want to thank our friends at JEC. was a um, wonderful show yesterday in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Big, big uh, hello to our friends at JEC, RTMA, and Berea High School. Berea has their big Shabbaton this week. We wish them the best on that effort. Um, a big thank you to our friends at Grand and Essex. We had a wonderful Thursday live lunch with our uh, with the people from Manischewitz uh, yesterday uh, between 11 and 1 o'clock. And Grand and Essex really were grand to us. Uh, a special thank you to uh, Yitzi Elbaum and everybody who, um, <laughs> who really made us feel very welcome and very, very much at home. Uh, a lot of great people there, great staff, and we thank them in Bergenfield, New Jersey. That was really nice. Yeah, Shakoach, the Jew in the City, Allison Josephs, ran the Jew in the City annual event last night with the Orthodox All-Stars. A couple of really very, very inspiring presentations by some of the All-Stars. I want to um, give a special shout-out to longtime friend Lawrence Burian, who was among the honorees last night and really was, uh, I thought, fantastic in his in his speech after the award. So Mazal Tov to him and all the All-Stars. Candlelighting at 7.01. It's JM in the AM on a Friday morning as we get set to wrap up the week. I want to thank Mayor Fertig, who sat in one uh, morning this week. Much appreciated. And um, I want to thank those of you who still, up until this point, uh, including this week, have been donating to the JM in the AM 2016 fundraising marathon. Some people have discovered that they were either not around or were not aware of the fact that the fundraiser was going on. I take this opportunity to thank all of you who have really stepped up uh, past the uh, the final Friday time and have helped us nonetheless. It is much appreciated. Time to say good Shabbos. Candlelighting at 7.01. Erev Shabbos. This is JM in the AM.
our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that wraps up another great week for us here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, Naomi Nachman is next on jmtheam.org and the NSN app and on the home screen at nachomsegel.com. If you want to watch Table for Two, that comes up next between 9 and 10. Kedem presentation of our Erev Shabbos music mix between 10 o'clock and candle lighting. So that's like nine straight hours. <whistles> Pretty amazing, huh? And you should just have that on in your office, in your house, um, as you drive, as you walk. As you run errands on an Arab Shabbos, whatever you're doing today. Great weekend programming, of course. Matis with JM Sunday comes up uh, Sunday at 7 a.m. I will meet you back here, please God, on uh, Monday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till next week, Nachum Sigal reminding you remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.